This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. I'm David Merrill. I'm super excited to be here. You guys, we are going to crank the dial to 11 and just break it right there for the rest of the year. <laughs> Patrick and I are going to, we've been on a roll. We're going to stay on a roll. I'm super excited. We just keep lining these guests up. I unfortunately am going to be back on the road here soon and it's going to be a little little rough on the old podcast, but we'll, we will adapt and overcome. You know, one thing I wanted to talk about with you, Patrick, is conservation right? Mm-hmm. Everybody knows I'm the hunter in the group here, but I love to fish, right? Mm-hmm. We went to Alaska. I showed you a picture of a steelhead the other day. I grew up slaying fish. That's probably why I like to go hunt so much. We've talked about that a hundred times, right? And in that model, in that conservation, we've, we had Shireen talking about a little bit of fly fishing. I bow hunt, I rifle hunt. I fly fish and I bait fish. I do what's procuring animals, procuring meat. And some days, you know what? If I catch a big 300-pound halibut, we're going to let it go. Why? She's full of <laughs> eggs. She's going to be the breeding stock, right? So I want there, and you can skin me alive. I'll say it right now. I want there to be wolves for my grandkids to hear. I also want to go hunt a wolf. I want my grandkids to have the opportunity and privilege to hunt a healthy, sustainable wolf population. I think you feel the same way about fish, right? Yeah, yeah. I want to have better fishing available for my kids than I have for myself right now, which is pretty fantastic. So, I mean, conservation is a huge thing and hunters, anglers have been paying for conservation for many years. And we have a couple of guests here that are going to talk about some of the cool things that are available here in Wyoming, a fund that is set up to help expand that funding for wildlife because Wyoming is what it's wildlife baby. And we have a lot of it. And it's the best place to come in the lower 48 to check out wildlife, period. So, Taylor and Nate, welcome to the Radcast Outdoors podcast with the Wildlife Fund. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, it's good to have you. So, do real quick, do a quick introduction, introduce yourselves. Taylor, why don't you start? Yeah, great. Thanks, Patrick. Um, David, gosh, we're, we're so excited to be here. Um, my name is Taylor Phillips, coming from Jackson, Teton County, and I'm a business owner there in the tourist industry. I'm 2008. Um, I started Jacksonville Eco Tour Adventures. We're focused on natural history, interpretive programming. We take folks throughout the ecosystem four hours to multi-day programs, just connecting folks to the outdoors, through wildlife viewing, we teach science, and we have a lot of fun doing it. Our, our guests, they come from all over the world, and yeah, this is their, oftentimes their, their dream trip, um, and we make it happen for them. Absolutely. Nate? So I have a background as a native of uh, Wyoming. I was lander born, born and raised here in Fremont County. Love wildlife, love wildlife pursuits of all kinds. I can relate to David well there. Love fishing, love hunting, trapping, all of the above. I think they all have a place. And I think uh, apex predators have a place as well. I can relate to David there. I think there's merit. Um, to having predators as long as they're managed and controlled. And that's what I love about the Wildlife Fund in general. I walked away from a, 
about a 12-year career in oil and gas to come over and, and work back in Fremont County in the state of Wyoming with the, I believe, the most impactful nonprofit that there is, at least in the state of Wyoming. That's why I jumped on board. So happy to have met Taylor. Taylor's a board member of the Wildlife Fund. He's a very visionary guy. Um, working with Chris McBarnes, my boss, um, with the Wildlife Fund, he came up with an unbelievable initiative, um, initially called Wildlife Tourism for Tomorrow. We've since went through a small rebranding process and tweaked that a little bit to get our message straight for our stakeholders and for folks out there across the state and the country and the world, ultimately. Um, we've refined that to Wildlife for Tomorrow. And uh, we believe that that captures um, kind of the better theme that we're trying to portray. So under the initiative or under the, the blanket of the strategic vision of the Wyoming Game and Fish, the Wildlife Fund is the nonprofit partner, 501c3, for the Wyoming Game and Fish Department and Commission. It was created uh, by the Commission and the Department about three years ago. Um, Chris McBarnes was tapped um, by some, you know, influential folks. Um, he's a, not even a Wyoming native. A lot of people had their doubts about Chris <laughs> until they meet him and see him in action. He's just a spectacular guy, very visionary, very forward thinking, and doesn't take no for an answer. So he's been a great asset to Wyoming and to the Wildlife Fund. And so um, basically what's what's the relationship between Wildlife for Tomorrow and the Wildlife Fund is Wildlife for Tomorrow is a signature initiative under the blanket of the 501c3 called the Wildlife Fund, which is our nonprofit partnership with the Game and Fish. So uh, Wildlife for Tomorrow, um, Taylor came up with that plan as an ecotourist um, person in, in uh, not tourist, but tourism business owner in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. He saw a niche that needed to be filled for conservation, and and as a tourism business owner, he he really was able to to see that there's a, a place that's missing. There's a part that's missing in that puzzle, and uh, wildlife is such a huge part of a four billion dollar tourism business in Wyoming alone. So, right, um, you know, when you look at this the strategy of funding for conservation, it only makes sense to involve the tourism sector. So, that's where. I, I have to hand it to Taylor for having that vision, and <laughs> and um, I'd let, like to let him talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, I was going to say, so when you drive into Jackson and you see the people going to look at the elk, is that you taking them out to do that, or is that somebody else? Is that a good question? That is me, <laughs> and oh, oh my gosh, like the industry in Jackson has exploded over right. the past, past 20 years, the wildlife watching industry. Um, you know, I feel like, so I'm, I'm a transplant, um, to Wyoming. So I, I, I came out, um, from Virginia via Florida, um, in 02. And, you know, I kind of dabbled construction, worked at the ski resort, worked in restaurants, started working with different guide services in the Jackson region. And, um, at that point, you know, very few visitors kind of took these type of programs and, you know, in the past 15 years, there's been more and more and more businesses kind of popping up. Um, they see the opportunity, more and more visitors, they want this type of experience. And now there's there's close to 50 permit holders um, in Jackson. You know, a lot of them are just kind of mom and pops, one, you know, one guide, one vehicle. And then there are, I don't know, a half dozen 
businesses kind of similar to eco tour adventures you know multiple guides multiple vehicles kind of you know making this happen so it's it, the industry has really popped up over the you know the past 10 15 years yeah and one of the things that david and i have talked about is that you know hunters and anglers really do carry the load for all these wildlife you know areas across the united states it doesn't matter what state you go to if you're going to look at moose in Maine, or if you're looking at gators in Florida, wherever you go in the United States, hunters and anglers are paying for those biologists, paying for that conservation and helping that happen. So talk about how the wildlife fund fits into this, because kind of with your vision, you know, you're bringing in people that maybe are just taking pictures and looking through binoculars, right? Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. You know, so I'm, um, I'm a hunter. I'm an angler, you know, I love, I love filling the freezer. Um, one of the, the best things I do every year is, you know, take my kids out fishing, um, you know, on the snake river or gosh, this fall, we were outside of Thermop, um, fishing and just did really well. And just, you know, seeing my son Canyon just, you know, light up, it's just like, you know, two thumbs up. It was, it was, it was an awesome experience. So, you know, I, I, I do have that kind of that, that sportsman, background. Um, and I also have this, this kind of this ecotourism background as, as well. Right. So like, you know, I understand that, you know, all our game, um, and the animals that are hunted and fished for, you know, they're managed and conserved primarily through the, the philanthropic means. And then also through, you know, licenses, tags, excise taxes on firearms, fishing equipment, et cetera, you know, from the hunters and anglers. So I'm like, wait a minute, you know, we have hunters and anglers that are footing the bill. And that's typically the, you know, the, how it works across the, the country. Um, but we have this tourism industry that's largely fueled by wildlife. Um, there's data that comes out of Cheyenne that wildlife is the top driver of tourism across the state. Tourism, so, you know, money talks, right? And the, the tourism sector, a $4.6 billion industry, the second largest industry in Wyoming, where we rely on wildlife, but financially we're not contributing to its, its well-being. Like, there's a disconnect there. Right. Certainly. I mean, part of that disconnect is as a waterfowl guy, I buy a waterfowl wetland stamp every year on top of the Pittman-Robertson Act, on top of the, you know, voluntary act to pay for the ammo and the shotgun. I'm buying a stamp that is funding all the wetlands. And I would hypothesize to any birder out there that loves birds more than me because I kill them and eat them. Did they buy and did they conserve and do they fund you know, they're, they're out there with thousand dollar telescope of lens, taking pictures of ducks or birds or, and I, if that's your, if that floats your boat, great. I, I'm not anti-birder, but let's get them involved in footing some of the bill for that wetland that's sitting there that the waterfowler <laughs> paid for. Right. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and so when I kind of dreamt of this initiative of, you know, kind of tackling this, this dilemma of who pays and who benefits from wildlife. Um, you know, I had certainly some concerns like, okay, are the, you know, the individuals that aren't out there with fishing poles and rifles or bows, like, are, are they going to be, are they going to feel threatened that, okay, there's more money coming to the table. Um, and, and no, it's like, yeah, like, like you're saying, you know, you're, you're a hunter. Um, you like to fish Patrick. Um, mm -hmm. like you're like, no, like these, these, these entities should be paying in and they're just, there hasn't been a way 
for this to happen um, up until this point. You know, there's been talk for, for a couple of decades of, you know, let's, let's you know, tax tourists or visitors at, an entrance, at the entrance station to state parks, national parks, you know, through the legislative process in Cheyenne, that's failed. Um, let's, let's add a tax on, on backpacks, binoculars, that has failed. And, you know, I love Wyoming. And Wyoming, you know, they don't, we don't like new taxes. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so, like, those methods of, you know, targeting the, you know, I, I hate to say the non-consumptive user because, we we all consume the resources, um, you know, native lands and wildlife. Just you know, driving a car across the state, um, stopping at a bear jam, um, you know, going birding with your binoculars. Like you are, you know, in a sense, you know, disrupting that that scenario in the backcountry. Um, so, like, I, I do feel like we're all users. Um, we just kind of quote unquote use the wildlife in, in different ways. Yeah. Well, I, I think Taylor's making a great point too about consumption. You know, non-consumptive is maybe a polarizing term, but I don't think that people understand that consumption can mean something besides eating wildlife or eating game meat. Because, you know, at the end of the day, all of the traffic, all of the travel, all of the pursuits, whether it's with a camera or a gun or a fishing rod or whatever, um, they all have their effect on wildlife, and you know that taps into all all sorts of different things. Winter winter range, you know, we've already had to legislate shedhorn hunting, for instance. You know, you have people <laughs> yeah. literally pursuing animals to the point that they can't even, you know, manage to eat enough feed to make it into the spring. You know, and this year that's going to be v- critical. I mean, habitat. Yeah. I mean, that, especially here, we're, yeah. we're gonna we, we've, <laughs> we've got a, a really bad winter this year, right? Really cold, lots of snow. I've seen animals in places you just normally don't, and they're they're picking for scraps at the moment. So yeah, going out and harassing them, talking yeah. about thirty percent, um, you know, reduction in herds based on on uh, data from collar data of dead animals in that six month below range. So, you know, we're losing about six, about 30% of our six month olds in the antelope and deer herds in certain spots around the state because of that very thing, the, the bad winter. But, right. um, you know, I think Taylor's model and, you know, working with Chris and the wildlife fund, it just, it taps into the bigger picture. Um, you know, one thing that the wildlife fund is, is uh, known for, you know, our, our motto is uniting people to advance wildlife habitat, Wyoming's wildlife habitat research and education. And education is a huge part of, of what the Wildlife Fund is known for through some of our other programs. And I think that, uh, you know, Wildlife for Tomorrow as an initiative, um, one of the big things is educating tourism businesses as to what their role really is with conservation and what their role could be. You know, right. potentially you can contribute. You can, you don't have to be a hunter. You don't have to be a fisherman, but you can work towards the betterment of the wildlife. And the Wildlife Fund's strategic vision is within the role of the Wyoming Game and Fish or within that vision of the Game and Fish, who are our, our state's wildlife managers. So that really lends legitimacy to the whole thing. Yeah. So how does this work? So, if, Taylor, if I come on a trip with you, how do I contribute? Like, what what is my part? So I book a trip with you to go look at herds of elk while they eat on the refuge or whatever it is. How does that How does that work? How does my my participation in that end up in the wildlife fund? Like, how do, how does that revenue capture happen? Yeah, no, yeah, great question, Patrick. So, you know, our model is one that where we are 
targeting businesses that benefit from the tourism sector. So we are targeting, of course, guide services like mine. Mm -hmm. uh, we're targeting hotels, restaurants, car rental agencies, um, gear shops that, you know, that tailor to the, kind of the, the tourism market. So we're, we're targeting those, those businesses that benefit. And, you know, we, we've seen great success. So in the past 16 months, you know, we've, we've onboarded about 85 businesses. Um, we've generated about $200,000 and, you know, all those dollars are going to support, support projects, um, that hunters, anglers, you know, wildlife watchers, birders, you know, can all get behind. So we're supporting projects that, um, that, you know, spend their monies with habitat restoration, wildlife research, wildlife crossings, um, kind of those, 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 those buckets, if you will. Okay. So if I'm the business, you come to me and you say, Hey, this is what we're doing. Is this something that I contribute to monthly, annually? Like how does that work for the business? So, you know, a lot of folks like consider us kind of like the 1% model, like 1% for the planet or 1% for the Tetons. And, you know, we're similar, but different to, to that in that, you know, we believe that every business model is different. So, you know, 1% is going to mean something very different to a mom and pop operation than it would say REI. We don't want it to alienate anyone. We want this to be all inclusive. So, you know, different models work for different businesses. Um, you know, some businesses, you know, JD High Country Outfitters and Jackson, great, great group of folks. They provide a great service to locals and visitors alike. You know, during certain times of the year, they're rounding up the register for us. Um, we have some great float trip companies in Jackson area. You know, they're providing, you know, a dollar per head they take down the river. Um, you know, we're working with some Marriott properties as well, um, around the state and, you know, they're kind of figuring out in their back end if, if they could do a dollar per room night. So different models for different businesses. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, cause I was thinking like your, maybe your smaller companies in Jackson aren't going to be able to do something that, you know, some of those bigger companies can do. So I just didn't know if they had like tiered options or how it, how it kind of worked and how do you sell that to a business? You know, when you walk up and you say, Hey, we want you to give us money, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and it's, it's, it's tough to make it in Jackson. For those of you who don't know, Teton <clears throat> County is the wealthiest County in the country. And so it's like, how do you make it there and yet still contribute to conservation? How do you talk somebody into that? It's, um, <laughs> it, it's tough. You know, yeah. we, we've, we've had really good luck in the past 16 months, you know, like I, like I mentioned before, but, but we are, you know, we are selling, we're selling this, this brand to them. And, you know, what I'm, and Nate and I, what we're working on looking forward at is we're looking to kind of build this where, you know, we are kind of educating patrons, possible patrons of businesses across the state to, to look for the decal on the storefront window that this business is an investor of Wyoming's wildlife. I think that's so, to Patrick's earlier point. I think you're you're hinting on that really well. Like what I what our vision is is to have it be like the AAA. Mm -hmm. You see this this logo on a business storefront or on the door or the window decal, and then through our advertising and you know this is a great tool. Thanks for inviting us, you guys, yeah, to advertise absolutely. it this way. But you know to get people aware to seek out businesses that have in fact decided willingly and willfully to contribute to conservation 
because of the whole sustainability, responsible tourism is a big thing. You know, we're all, I think, cognizant of some of the neighboring states and areas. You know, you've probably seen the photos of, of like Moab, Utah, where you got like the selfie with the beautiful scenery behind it, but you don't see the forward vision on the camera. And there's literally thousands of people in line to take that exact same photo. I think that's where this is really, truly a visionary concept because um, it's identifying folks who at the beginning of this initiative have decided through talking to Taylor and through looking what, you know, the impacts that the wildlife fund has had as a greater, um, you know, group, this is what we're actually doing. We're putting, you know, boots on the ground for wildlife. So, um, you know, as a willing tourist in the state of Wyoming, if you recognize a business that's willingly contributing to that effort, um, that's the selling point. That's the selling point to the folks that are actually the tourist is to get behind businesses who've recognized their role and what their role can develop into, you know, as, as a big supporter of conservation. Yeah. So we've had great success, right, um, with businesses that, that do have that philanthropic kind of mindset. For this to really take off, you know, we are we're doing our best to build financial incentive for businesses to join. So, hey, you join this program, you will get more customers. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're doing what we can to work with larger brands that have influence, if you will, um, to, you know, to help push this out to educate patrons, to look for that, that, that logo, um, that decal on the storefront window. So obviously you guys are going to be involved with, and I mean, uh, one of the projects come mind is wildlife crossings, right? For one business to bear the, the brunt and the shoulder of, you know, you're talking millions of dollars per wildlife crossing. And those crossings are through science, through study, through data collections with Wyoming Game and Fish. You know, we've proven that we need wildlife crossings, right? Where vehicle mortalities is a huge issue. So, but there, you're what thirty three million dollars a crossing. Yeah, right. I mean, one of the ones we're funding right now. Um, you know, the the most recent bid, you know, or projected cost is around twenty two million. That's the South Kemmer one eighty nine project, and. Um, to, to your point, one of the beauties of this initiative, and this is stuff that we're just developing now, but we've created buckets for people to dedicate money or restrict funding to. So if you're a business that really, if wildlife crossings really resonate with you, you know, we have a bucket called wildlife barriers, and that encompasses crossings, fence modification and removal of wild, non-wildlife friendly, friendly fencing stuff like that. You know, we also have buckets, wildlife research, wildlife habitat. So if stream bed restoration is your thing and you want to restore habitat, you can restrict funds as a business under this initiative for the wildlife fund. You can restrict funds to that cause or to that vision that you really, you know, that resonates with you or the, with your stakeholders. So that's one of the great things about it as well. Yeah. So I'm going to back up just a hair because the reason I heard about you guys was Cowboy State Daily came out with an article about what you guys are doing. And I'm always keeping my eyes open for potential podcast guests to talk about cool things that are going on. And so I had reached out and I don't remember this a hundred percent, but it, I think as part of the article, they had talked about there were um, some funds that were being collected also from real estate sales, like real estate companies or something like that, that were 
taking proceeds from real estate sales. Is that right? And putting them into the wildlife. Yeah, we have a, we have a board member actually, who's a realtor in the Buffalo area. And that's one of the models that is in use today is he just gives a percentage of his sales and it changes all the time, you know, that, that, and that's one of the things that's, it's really a challenge when you're coming up with an initiative like this because there's so many different businesses out mm-hmm. there. And like Taylor touched on before, we don't want to alienate anybody. We want every business in the state of Wyoming to see value in wildlife and the role that mm-hmm. conservation plays in the end game of tourism. Because, you know, when you really look at Wyoming, it doesn't matter if it's Walmart or or what the business is, tourism plays a huge role. Oh, and you know, all you have to do is look at sales or look at, you know, <laughs> any of that from about September on, it just starts falling off, right? I mean, mm-hmm. once the tourism kind of falls away, then, you know, you're relying on local businesses and local folks alone, right? So um, anyway, that's a, that's a great, you know, part of part and parcel to this is, you know, the, the ability for us to say to the folks, Hey, you know, if your if your bottom line changes so drastically that you can't give a month, monthly contribution, you know, at the end of the year, just look at it, see what you can give, and do it. And we're still going to appreciate that because, at the end of the day, it's a huge resource that we all have to get behind. And that's what's so great about it is, at the end of the day, it's a resource that we all have to protect. So. Um, you know, the Game and Fish Department, you know, for the past 70, 100 years, they've done an awesome job with the money that they've collected from licenses, taxes. Well, I've had I had a thought just, just the other day, and I was having a conversation with someone about how do we, you know, we're having a lot of attacks from well-funded organizations that are not well-meaning. I'm sorry, but I'm going to lay them out there. Defenders of Wildlife is not out there to defend wildlife. They're out there to remove hunting rights. They're a wolf in sheep's clothing, and they're, if you donate a dollar to them, of that dollar goes to administrative fees. I mean, you're not helping wildlife. You donate a dollar to Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, you know, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, 90 cents of that dollar. And this this sounds like this organization is going to be the exact same way. You donate this money to this organization and it's going to go to wildlife in Wyoming, whether that project's a kid fishing weekend to recruit more fishermen or whether it's a you know, fencing wildlife project or habitat management or research science. I mean, this is, this is a cool thing. I've, the thought I had was we need to expand this nationwide and just in the legislator take and put just a, just an earmark that says any dollar collected in any state for conservation has to be spent on conservation. Cause right now I believe there's a lot of states where your hunting license fees goes into the general state fund. Then the wildlife, the, the Wyoming Game and Fish Commission has to submit their budget and get approved, right? So there may be more sportsman dollars accessible for wildlife conservation that's getting used for maybe public roads, public works, which are all great social experiments that I think we should fund, right? Roads and schools and fire departments and police departments. I want to pick up the phone and have them all show up. But, you know, you ask any wildlife biologist, he's not making what somebody in the private sector would be making doing something other, you know, pharmaceutical wise or something, taking those same degrees, education, knowledge, skills. I mean, he's, he's kind of volunteering some of his expertise (laughs) and time in life. I mean, they're not, those guys, they they do a a great job and they take a lot of flack. We've had Dan on here more times than I can count. He's one of our favorite guests and Dan, hello, when, when, (laughs) when you're listening, but Dan Thompson has been instrumental in kind of just educating us and our listeners on 
those large carnivores that are so charismatic and there is this polarization of should we hunt should we not hunt i mean if we could resource and pool all this money in one pile like we talked about earlier i i'm a big time trapper have been for a long time haven't got to do it lately but as a trapper you know you can very easily go in and nuke an area with traps and completely decimate the population but you want to repetitively annually year after year after year harvest similar numbers if not more numbers right so you're not going to do that you're going to selectively go in and harvest and that's the same tool we use for fishing and hunting and anything else i mean it's the same thing as thinning timber you look at a stand of timber and there's a great example of national forest is on one side of a fence private ranch is on the other on the private ranch side they've been selectively harvesting thinning logging the other side they said nope no timber work at all zero the left hand side is so choked out so thick full of beetle kill that there's no elk in there. There's no deer in there. There's no squirrels. There's not even a coyote goes through it. And the ranch side is this beautiful rolling, you know, mixture of pines and trees and grasses, and it's loaded with wildlife. We need to be good stewards of the land across the board. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Gosh, you know, I love, to, I love to hunt. I love to fish. I love to get out and recreate, whether it's in backcountry ski or mountain bike. And yes, like our lands and our wildlife, they, they, they need to be managed. You know, there's such a, you know, intense human footprint um, across the country. We're not going to get away from that. It, it, it is what it is. So, be, you know, because of that, like, yeah, these, these species and the landscapes, yeah, they, they do need to be man, managed. Um, you know, certainly there's different perspectives, right, of, of what that management looks like. Um, but hands down, I think we can all find some common ground and, and work in that direction. Trailheads, right? There's yeah. a couple trailheads that really need some maintenance, right? I mean, some of the signs were built, hand-carved, engraved, painted in the 1970s. They've fallen down and some hiker or I or somebody's gone by and at least stood them up against the base of the tree. But, you know, I think back to the time when the Forest Service had mule trains and, and they were going and not only clearing trail, but expanding the trail network. And we're not even maintaining the trails properly that have been built. We're abandoning them. I mean, I... I know the one trail I go in every year because of the beetle kill, I will cut 10 to 15 trees in the first mile and a half to get in there. And that's, and that's the sportsman doing that with our own dollars and our own time. Why? I, I don't want my horses jumping over logs and getting poked by stops. So we got to be. And so having some more funding for some projects, and I know that's for service and that's outside of the realm, but again, the trailheads could be. Well, it's really not outside of the realm. That's one of the things that the Wildlife Fund is well known for is collaborating. And, you know, I think that's uh, you're touching on subjects that are really important to me because, you know, I walked away from a career to do this and I didn't want to work for a polarizing um you know, nonprofit that was going to just basically alienate 50% of our population or more right out of the gate. And I think that uh, the beauty of the Wildlife Fund and this initiative is we really have the opportunity to do like we are today, sit across the table from folks and educate and inspire new kids. Um, that's the other thing we're, you know, we're doing the Inspire a Kid program. We're lockstep, we're in lockstep with Brian Nesvik and the state um, department, the game and fish department with their Inspire a Kid program. Because just like you hinted on before, David, with uh, trail repairs and mods and, you know, just, you know, doing general maintenance, one of the issues of with all those agencies, federal and state, is kids in general and just the newer generations are struggling we're struggling to get them involved we're struggling to get them out and get them outdoors you know taylor does a great job with his kids 
but he's not the norm. You know, most, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't have any fancy statistics to throw out here, but I think if everybody thinks very long and hard about it, most of the kids nowadays, you have a hard time getting them inspired to do about anything and let alone get outside and sweat and work and all that sort of thing. So, well, you know, one of the, you hit a great point is like, you know, unless we inspire a new group of conservation minded youth and really get them involved and get them, you know, to see the value of conservation efforts, you know, we're at, we're losing the long-term battle and, you know, and so we're um, always one generation away from losing hunting and fishing. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And it's a, and it's a thing that, you know, my background, um, just to touch on a little bit more, I see the value in, and I think there's you know, kind of a trend reversal that's starting to happen because of COVID and some of the challenges people have had now, but it, it's people see more value in being able to feed themselves. I mean, we all remember two <laughs> years ago when you couldn't find anything at the grocery store, people have seen the value in harvesting meat, harvesting protein, whether it's fish or, you know, deer or elk or whatever. And one of the beauties of Wyoming and our heritage in Wyoming is, is subsistence hunting. And I think you guys, if you've lived here very long, you know, people that rely on game meat, you know, that's a big part of what they do and, and why they hunt. And, and I think that's something that's a really beautiful thing to inspire people to be able to have that kind of a power to actually go out, you know, with a bow or with a rifle or whatever muzzleloader you know we were just hanging out with jim shockey the other night you know muzzleloader is crazy the stuff that he's taken with a muzzleloader but you know at the end of the day it's such an empowering thing you know women are the largest growing group of of sportsmen you know it's unbelievably cool to see in a trend of society where you have the single mother is kind of the norm nowadays to see these you know women get involved in sporting and and have the ability to go feed their families is so cool, you know, yeah. and that whole initiative is part of what, you know, brought me out of a oil and gas career, you know, it was a great career and I don't take anything away from the time that I spent there. But at the end of the day, this is so much more rewarding, you know, yeah. and that's why we're here, you know. Well, we're, we're excited to have you on board, Nate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's been awesome. No, I think it, I think we do need to talk about this because We've, we've kind of been around the subject matter, but it all comes down to worldview with this issue, right? Like you have people who see wildlife as something that's, you know, you, you look at it and that's it. You know, we don't, you know, it's okay to go take pictures. It's okay to watch them with binoculars, but we don't want to touch the, the resource. We don't want to be involved in it. And they think that that's stewardship. And then on our side, you know, saying, well, we want to hunt, we want to recreate, we want to fish. And then that's my part of the stewardship, you know, taking care of the landscape, also investing heavily into that. Right. The crossover is how do you get both groups to work on the same thing? And I think that's what the wildlife fund is really trying to do right. Is to to be that crossover because it's like, okay, here's, here's the reality is it's not funded (laughs) just by, you know, saying, well, I'm going to be completely hands off and, and watch it from a distance. You, You know, you're not participating and you're not funding it. So put your money where your mouth is and start helping or, uh, you know, on the hunting side, it's like, Hey, you know, how do we be better people of outreach to this other group to help tell our story? Because I think that, you know, to your point, David, we're villainized for trapping, keeping fish, you know, harvesting elk, whatever. So how do we, how do we cross that bridge? How do we get people to work together and see that we're actually all trying to 
really do the same thing, but we have very different worldviews and how we're trying to accomplish that, right? Yeah, and one of the beauties of the Wildlife for Tomorrow initiative is the re- restricted fund capability. We've had folks that, believe me, it's created um, interesting conversations for me with some of the the more diehard hunting and fishing folks out there. It's like, why are you working with these folks at all? But at the end of the day, um, they can restrict funds. You know, someone can come, a, a business owner can restrict funds to a project that, you know, is in lockstep and within the strategic vision of the game and fish, you know, and at the end of the day, the game and fish is, is tasked with providing opportunities, but also protective. So, um, you know, it's a great blend of, of thoughts and of visions. And, uh, you know, what's cool about it is, is empathy is something that you, I think you really have to empathize with people and really see where they're coming from in order to have a conversation that evolves into something bigger. And like the wildlife crossings are such an unbelievably uh, win-win, you know, thing and fence mods <laughs> and all these different things. They're- and yeah. they have a real value to wildlife. Wildlife crossings you know? are huge, man. How many of you want to go hit a deer with your vehicle? No, I mean, heck, I don't no. know anybody. No, that's not fun at all. You know, <laughs> I mean, whenever I drive, you know, Highway 26 there by Dubois, yeah. um, I, you know, I'm white knuckled. If it's night, I, I pull over. I spend the night. Um, there's so many collisions along that stretch. And that's another stretch that you know, the wildlife fund kind of we're holding the bank for, you know, it's going to happen in the next five, 10 years where there's, yep. there's, you know, one overpass, a bunch of underpasses, a bunch of fence work that, you know, that's going to happen in that, in that yep. space. And, you know, one business sector that we're targeting, um, for wildlife crossing specifically are, um, auto insurance companies. Yeah, because they have to pay claims. They got to pay those claims, <laughs> you know. So they like, should, they should just they should be beating down our door, right? right yes, now, yeah. Right? I mean, you they know, really should. You know, <laughs> calling you out, State Farm and farmers. <laughs> um, you know, we, we do have State Farm. You know, on, on our side, they, they've donated to our work, yep. um, which is which has been great. So thank you, thank you guys for that. But yeah, it, it would be a big investment on their part, but it would pay off. After, after five, 10, 15 years, for sure. Yeah, and I I can probably say with certainty all of us have hit something with our vehicle, and it is not cheap to get it fixed, right? Like, I know I hit a deer. Gosh, it's been over a decade ago, but, man, I'll, I won't forget that one because it told my truck, right? And, I mean... <laughs> You know, 15,000, 20,000 at the time, whatever, you know, it's like that, that adds up really quick. And I mean, you know, if they're putting into these wildlife crossings and the high fence to kind of funnel them to that, I mean, that, like you said, it's a win-win situation. Well, and the personal safety, you know, we we just tapped Mm -hmm. into about $77,000 of um, energy sector funding for that very thing. And that was my, you know, former... Um, occupation and was a, an operations foreman in an oil and gas company. And when you look at safety and, you know, guys driving up and down the road, one of the big reasons that 189 is such a focal point right now is Terra Power is, you know, there's going to yeah. be around 2,500 additional temporary employees that have immediate, are going to immediately be on the landscape in that region down there by camera. So twice a day, um, 5,000 trucks yeah, going to guys. and from running back and forth so at the end of the day you know that has to be um you know we have to fast track that project and get it put together and get it funded and you know the game and fish commission i've got to give credit where credit's due you know we have a board member 
that's a commissioner at all times. Brian Nesvik is on our board as well, mm-hmm. the Wildlife Fund board. He's a non-boating ex officio member, but, you know, Brian's there. And uh, those guys have, you know, they've tapped into $1.25 million of commission funds as well that's just good. for that project alone. So um, it's easy to, when you have people working in lockstep with a vision and with, a, you know, the same vision, I guess, you know, to... Yeah, I was going to bring something up, and you'll remember this, Nate, and I know you will too, David. 2007, I went out for a job interview to Pinedale, Wyoming for an energy company. I was just getting out of college, and I went out there for the interview, and I remember counting 60 mule deer dead on the road, just driving between, I think it was Farson and Pinedale. Yep. 60. All right. Now, I know at that time there were way more than that getting hit. I mean, because I didn't even take the rest of the loop around that whole area, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, deer were just getting absolutely annihilated. Well, they put in that crossing over there by Pinedale. Yeah. And I I remember talking to Blake Fegler about the statistics from that. He's with Muley Fanatic Foundation. They went from, like, almost a deer a day to, like, one a year in it that area. The, it's that insane. St- that statistic is 89%. In, in one year, it decreased the motor vehicle wildlife collisions by 89%. That's insane, right? And so it's like, if you want to get behind a project that's going to really make a difference, this is the kind of thing to get behind because it saves a ton of money on the auto side. It's safer for you and your family when you're driving, and it has a huge impact on wildlife. Yeah, and, you know, um, to kind of go a different direction one thing that's really cool about wildlife for tomorrow as an initiative you know you can get behind these great big projects like wildlife crossing no-brainer easy to jump in you know get in behind um, those kind of projects but wildlife for tomorrow also you know we just had a um, great you know great contribution from a gal that's worked together with taylor and, and wildlife for tomorrow um, to contribute to a beaver holding facility in Cody, Wyoming, you know, so it's a it's a project that's been on the game and fish's radar. A lot of these projects, if they're you spoke to the budget earlier, if they're not in the budget for the year, they don't happen. You know, the department sets their budget; they have to you know follow that budget. The beauty of the of the wildlife fund in general, and then this initiative underneath the fund is is we created a funding model to jump and get out there and put boots on the ground for even the small projects like this beaver holding facility. We can go tap into folks who, you know, something like moose resonates. Mary Rumsey, um, gal loves moose, lives up in Matitsi. Moose are her thing. She loves her moose, um, you know, with Taylor and some of the other groups that have helped us out, you know, Taylor's um, vision for wildlife for tomorrow. We were able to secure funding and build this this beaver holding facility it's actually not built yet but it's all funded now so it'll get built but but it's uh what it's been proven through the biologists and the game and fish and all the the research and the new technology and studies is they've they've shown that beaver uh, are much more effective when trapped as a family group and then relocated to another area so they'll stay and actually work on an area and create better moose habitat so um, just, you know, to try to give a little bit of a perspective on projects, you know, it's not all about the big grandiose highway crossing. Sure. Um, you know, people, people it's about relocating a family of, of beaver 10 miles away to yeah. re- revitalize some beaver ponds that don't have beaver in it. Yeah. And the, and the educational aspect of that, a lot of people probably don't see a correlation between beaver and moose, but there's definitely one there. And, and that's one thing I wanted to touch on is, you know, we talk about, well, we're saving this, saving that, doing this, right. And, and everybody wants to say, well, you're just saving them so you can shoot them. 
right? And I would say, you know, I'm, I'm not a big shed hunter, but I'd be fine with moving shed season to June 1st. But I do pick up sheds and make elk chandeliers and door, drawer handles. And, you know, I'm that quote unquote consumptive, but I do take a camera. And if I'm sitting on a, say it's a big mule deer hunt where I'm specifically targeting the one and a cow moose walks out in the meadow below me, I'm taking photos or a grizzly bear walks across the other side of the meadow. I'm giving him his space, but I'm pulling out and taking video of it, right? You're an eco-tourist. I'm an eco-tourist <laughs> with a firearm on my backpack and one tag in my pocket. And I'm contributing, you know, it's not, this is not a hobby for me, guys. This is who I am. I am a hunter. Yeah. I mean, this is my lifestyle. This is my business. And it's how my family eats. You, you can ask my three young boys. They don't know what beef is. We have we have meat at our house. It's mystery meat. It's either elk, deer, or antelope, or sometimes when they, we get to the end of the year, the wife's making a big spaghetti. It might be all three mixed in that bowl together. <laughs> Call it mystery meat tacos. And But we laugh about it, but I'm going to put my money and my heart and some, my family's life. I mean, we recreate around hunting season. And hunting season isn't one weekend in September. It's starting now planning you know anticipating funding applying for tags starting to prep my gear you know changing up new gear testing new gear i mean buying new gear and then getting out this spring getting the horses worked up and ready and i mean aren't you you saw our little piece of property here we bought this so i could have horses so i could go elk hunting why do i want to be an elk hunter at 12 years old i told jim at 12 years old i watched jim on the stage in portland oregon at the expo talk about elk hunting and i said someday i'm going to do that well that day is now here, gentlemen, but I want it to be, continue to be here for my kids. And that's why just the other day I was driving through Idaho Falls and there's a sign that says relist the wolves. That should be touted as the sportsman's biggest accomplishment is we brought an apex predator back to this state that was gone, right? We can have an argument whether there was one or two wolves running around or not. I'm not going to. Wolves can travel 1,500 miles in a summer. So we should be touting that as a conservation success story that wolves have not only recovered to a point that they're huntable, that we've now had a hunt for years and it's a sustainable hunt and it's a sustainable population. That that should be everybody. We, we need to serve that message of, I mean, let's, let's, let's put it in a different model. We had a lake with no fish. We brought an apex predator fish back, and the lake has now been sustainable to not only house that predatory fish, but we can also take some of that predatory fish out, and it's maintaining. That's Guys, that's a beautiful thing. We all need a round of applause and a pat on our back. No, I love it. It's, it's certainly a, a great success story of the Endangered Species Act. Now let's right. move the grizzly bear and on the same thing. They need to come off the list. We've, it, been at, we've been at the levels we've needed to be for many, many years, and it's, it's well overdue. But I do want to go back to something you said. People that say, well, you just want that animal there so you can kill it. That's not true. We want that animal there to harvest, yes, because that is an important part of our life. But we want more of those animals on the landscape the next year and the next year and the next year. And that's the difference is that wildlife conservation is also harvesting. I give this example all the time on fisheries. If you have a fishery that is overrun by brook trout, brown trout, perch, whatever it is, and you're not harvesting those fish, you are, you are <laughs> causing a detriment to that body of water. You literally are causing a death by putting that fish back. Yep. So if you catch a fish and you throw it back and you're not willing to consume it, you're actually harming that fishery where you could be helping it. Right. And 
again, you don't have to be the fisherman, but don't get mad at me. If I'm going to keep four brook trout out of this stream where their heads are as big as their bodies and I'm going to have them over a campfire, I'm actually doing that creek or that little pond a favor and I'm not going to go fish it out, right? And And I think that's the thing that needs to be understood is that those of us who are harvesting, doing it the right way, being a good steward of that, you need to understand that. And you got to understand that these these biologists put in these quotas and these limits based on what's actually happening there. That's what we pay them for. And that's a beautiful part of it is having that biologist involved in this. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, I mean, having gone to other countries, having gone to South Africa where the landowner really is the biologist, he kind of gets to decide what herd he's going to have, how many carrying capacity. You know, they have some help from you can't have 5,000 antelope, you can't have 50, you need to have 100 and 500 or whatever. But our biologists, even though they are sportsmen and in this state, they're great. You know, there's other states that we don't have as California, one of them, there's not as many hunting biologists. But that guy's whole job, sole reason to being out there is when he sets a quota, it's not so that all of us get to kill extra. It's not so that nobody gets to hunt. He says, no, the, the healthy way forward for this population and this species is to do this. And then we as the consuming public, I mean, those wildlife are being held in, there are trusts, there are wildlife, and it's our land. We've hired somebody to say, this is the best way to manage it. And we need to, facts don't care about your feelings. We need to listen to what that biologist says. He's gone to college, he's got a degree, he's been out in the field all year collecting the data to say, we need to remove X or we need to add X. And I don't know how else to lay it out. And they do a remarkable job. Phenomenal job in this state. Antelope is a great example. You know, antelope tags go up and down and I hear non-residents complain, well, points are going all over the place. I'm like, that's because the carrying capacity is an average of a thousand antelope in this unit A, right? They go fly in a helicopter, they go fly in an airplane, they click count how many fawns survived and they go, oh, we need to drop the tags down to 800 this year. Well, guess what? Next year they fly and the tags go up to nine or a thousand. And the year after there's 1200, you know, so they're, they are moving the trends and Wyoming does a tremendous job. I would hyposit anybody listening to this in another state should ask their biologists why they're not moving tag numbers up and down with the population. (laughs) If your state is not doing that in your unit, just every year we give this many tags. Are you really managing the wildlife for wildlife? Are you managing it for funding? Right, right. Yeah, like our, our game department, every, everyone down from Director Nesvik, commissioners, the biologists, you know, through this process of, you know, working with the Wildlife Fund and Wildlife for Tomorrow, I've, I've had the opportunity to interact with, the, you know, a lot of these individuals. And like, I can't tell you enough that, you know, these individuals, they are good people. You know, they're looking out for what's best for the wildlife first and foremost. And if hunting opportunities are available, they're making it happen. It, you know, like through this process, it's it's really enabled me to kind of look back in time. You know, it's, it's my school studies. I study environmental studies, environmental philosophy, and you know, kind of you you kind of look back in time to the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. Like our wildlife was 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 slaughtered. Yep, um, and it was a really sad time for this country. That was the culture. That was the, the cultural norm at that point in time, you know. And that's going some, on today in the rest of the developing world. Right, hmm. yeah. We've um, corrected that and, and had the chance <laughs> to step out of that and go, wait a second, 
We do want bison. We do want wolves. Right. We do. We've and, and corrected these, that to the point that it's we've actually overcorrected the other way. The availability, you know, you touched on beef a little bit ago. The availability of food is so unbelievably, you know, good in this country that we've actually trended away from from personal health. And that's another thing that, you know, going back to some of the stuff we've talked about before, one of the beauties of wildlife and the pursuit of wildlife as a food source is it's extremely healthy. Yep. And, you know, not only the pursuit is healthy, but the end game, the, the protein source is healthy as well. And so that's, um, I think it's it's great to see things go full circle and to realize that we are apex predators as humans. Um, the role that we play, you know, we've been doing this for 11,000 years, roughly, you know, I mean, <laughs> that, depending on which, you know, paleontologist you sure. talk to and, you know, that sort of thing. But our eyes point the same direction as a wolf's point. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's in our heart and it's in our blood and, you know, to pursue game and to pursue things for food. So, um, you know, I think we've seen society change to the detriment because of a lack of hunting and fishing, you know, people have gotten away from those pursuits. And, and well, if you're having health problems, hands down, pure, clean protein. Yeah. Swi- switch yeah. to wild game. Switch to non-processed foods, and uh, then then maybe work on some pharmaceuticals. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you're going to do a lot better without those, you know, injected antibiotics, hormones. Hey, these animals are organic, over-processed food, know, colored, dyed. Yeah, yeah, you got to stay away from that stuff. That's no fun. Yeah, that's no fun. Well, and that's the beauty of living in Wyoming is we have the access and we have a plentiful amount of fish and game to go after, and that's thanks to. The anglers, the hunters, the Wyoming Game and Fish Department, different groups like yours that are raising funding to ensure that those populations are healthy. Yeah, conservation-minded sure. folks, and I I yeah. do want to um, tag the the ranching and the ag business yep. in Wyoming. One thing they that the Wildlife Fund is doing right now is we're working with the USDA um, with this twenty-two million dollar injection of USDA funds towards migration research and. Um, unbelievably cool thing, you know, and, and the the ranching and the and the ag community in this state has really um, gone unrecognized for decades mm-hmm. to the you know for the role that they play in winter range and feeding the elk and the deer and the antelope and sage grouse and all those different things and nothing's been perfect. I'm not yeah. saying that there haven't been you know issues back there, but I think one thing that's uh, really good to see is the ability to start bringing people together to recognize that and and recognize our role as consumptive users. It may only be that you've created a a conundrum for for migration uh, because you bought a place in the wrong spot. You know what? Um, That's another thing that's, it's very polarizing. It's very touchy subject, but um, I think one of the beauties of what we're doing with the wildlife fund and, and initiatives like wildlife for tomorrow is we're recognizing the, the role that humans play on the landscape. So winter range is a big thing. We've got to protect those places and, and maintain some open land. You know, that's what Wyoming's known for. Everyone loves it. Everyone wants a piece of it, but you have to look, you know, at the big picture. What do I, what do my very own, actions do for wildlife or take from wildlife and so and I, yeah talking to about the, the the big picture nate you know it's one thing that the the wildlife fund is doing right you know we had the the mass casualties of animals late 1800s early 1900s and then all of a sudden you know the different states around the country um you know they developed a, a game department because they they saw 
that, oh my gosh, we're losing our wildlife. And, you know, the, the human consciousness started to change and evolve a little bit. Um, so game departments and, you know, hunters were a big part of that drive. So it's like, oh, all of a sudden there's a huge, you know, there's a small group of individuals they like to hunt. So we want opportunities. So we need to protect this resource. So let's, yeah, we created the game departments across the country, started funding, conservation, management, you know, then different organizations, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Ducks Unlimited, they've injected so many dollars into habitat work to, to help those, those species out, um, you know, and, you know, millions of acres and billions of dollars. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's like mind blowing, like what the hunting community over the decades have, and, have done for wildlife and fishing with like trout but, unlimited and yeah, and, and we could keep yeah. going on yeah. and on and on. There's so it's, it's, it's easy to leave them out because there's so many people are doing such good work mm-hmm. and you know, then this, this complements it. This doesn't replace it. This doesn't say that they're not doing a good job. This is just going to be another way to complement all those efforts by all those people. Yeah. So as consciousness has, has evolved over time, like this is just another evolution as you know, we're in the 21st century and there's more stressors on wildlife. Um, there's more money behind it. So, you know, why not kind of tap the, the tourism community, the recreation community, um, all recreation has impacts right on our, on our native lands and wildlife. So I've said this several times in Africa, people like, Oh, I I don't want to go on a consumptive hunt and go to a, a high fence hunting ranch. I'll tell you right now, if you go on a photo safari, you're going to pull up to a water hole with 10 other trucks and you're going to sit there and try and get an angle of one lion or one zebra or one without trucks in the background. If you go to a hunting conservation, right, and you just go with your, your hunting spouse. I mean, I took 2000 photos of wildlife and there was nobody else to compete to take pictures with those wildlife. And the sportsman's dollars are why those wildlife are even on those ranches. I guarantee you if sportsmen quit going to Africa, quit paying to go hunt those, that wildlife, that farmer's going to plow all those trees down. He's going to plant alfalfa and corn and he's going to be selling food stocks to people. Those, those wildlife have to pay for the acre of ground they're on. And this is another way to help them fund their habitat. Yeah. And I just, I'd like to commend like our governor, and Director Nesvik and the entire commission um, and our president of the fund, Chris McBarnes, for like seeing the value of this work. And even that, Diane Schober's group, the Office of Tourism, you know, it's great yeah. to have Wyoming's literal Office of Tourism behind this initiative is, you know, Wildlife for Tomorrow. I mean, they, they've recognized that tourism has to be in lockstep with protecting wildlife. Well, to your yeah. point, why do you come to Yellowstone National Park? Most people are going to say because they want to see a grizzly bear. They want to see a moose. They want to see a wolf. They want to see those things, right? Yeah. Like they, they absolutely want to see it. I mean, Old Faithful is part of it, but I can guarantee you they're going to be more excited about the grizzly bear that they get to see than they ever are about the geysers. I mean, the bison, the bison. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, Yellowstone was, yeah, first established in 1872 for the geothermal wonders. But so we've protected, you know, over 2 million acres and now wildlife is, is abundant and it's flourished in the park. And now, yeah, I do feel like that is the main driving force of tourism. Yeah, Cause when I have a lot of people who come through here, they're my friends, you know, and they're going to Yellowstone. And so I asked him, okay, what was the coolest thing you saw? It was a grizzly bear. It was a bison. It was a moose, right? Like yeah. that, 
that is what gets them amped up. And then they're like, oh yeah, we went to Old Faithful. <laughs> right, right. So those pe- those people, like, we need to capture their dollars. Well, right? what, what so would Old the, Faithful be without the, the, the bison chasing yeah. people around? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't, we need don't to... Don't pet the fluffy don't cows. Pet, pet don't the pet fluffy, fluffy cows. cows. Yeah, it gets people every year. You think they'd learn, but... <laughs> oh, the, the comments of, well, where, where do they put the animals at night? And you know, <laughs> oh people don't understand. As a tour guide, we get all sorts of questions. You know, okay. what, what elevation did the deer turn to moose? Okay. You know, can you guys you tell go. me that you guys are hunters? Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what are some of the fun questions? Uh, you get? Give me some more. <laughs> I, like some more. I, I want to hear some more. Um, oh, you know, this is a great, um, so what, what time do they turn the geyser on? You know, <laughs> thinking that, you know, the geyser is, you know, dormant at night. Like, no, no, the old faithful, you know, about every hour, every hour and a half, 24 hours a day, folks. Um, that's, that's a really good one. Um, that's why they call it that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, where are the fences? Yep. You know, we're in Yellowstone driving around. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, how do you guys keep the, you know, the animals inside the, you know, inside in the, the park? park. Yeah. And yeah, we get, we, we love Wyoming. We live wildlife. We get it. Um, folks, you know, they're coming from the city. They're coming yeah. from, you They've know, They've never Great seen Britain. stars. They've never seen stars. You know, like, I, I love the fact that I've been looking at a Wyoming state flag behind you guys. <laughs> um, this whole thing. And it just, it, like, it, it resonates with me. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I know everyone in this room, a lot of your listeners, myself included, like, we all have a Wyoming love affair. Right? Yes. Um, I, you know, Brooke, I love you, my wife, um, but, you know, it, it, it's it's true. And, you know, one thing that really makes Wyoming so special is the wildlife and the amount of lands that we have, public and private, that sustains these wildlife populations. I'll put it to you this way. Wyoming is such a harsh place to live that without the wildlife, there would be no people at Wyoming because <laughs> we do. Like you talked about the ranchers and the farmers, right? Yeah. They absolutely love the wildlife. That's part of the reason that they're here. Is is this the best place to grow stuff and to raise animals? No, it is really hard to do here in Wyoming, and it's really expensive. So why are they doing it? It's because, again, part of it's they want to live away from a huge population mass, but a lot of it's because they have the wildlife opportunities. Most of your ranchers are hunters. They're anglers. They're providing and they want to see more of those animals on the landscape. Sometimes it hurts their crops a little bit, you know, and sometimes that's an issue. But if you were to go, we're right in the middle of ag country right here. If you were to go around each of these places and ask them, do you want to see more or less deer, more or less antelope? They're going to want more. And some of those alfalfa fields have 60 antelope laying in it all day, every day, all summer. And they're consuming two to four pounds of alfalfa per antelope per day. Tons dollar lots of dollars you know are being funded just by the rancher just to keep those antelope yeah Yeah, and i you know i gotta call out you know the ranching ag background that i have as well and you know people don't realize that these irrigation projects that were you know put together many times 70 to 80 close to 100 years ago um you know there would not be the winter feed availability for wildlife that there is today that we all see and recognize if it wasn't for irrigation projects like the one we're in the middle of you know midville and and you go up warland thermopolis cody all these little ag ag focused irrigation projects are are a lot of the reason why the game have flourished you know my great-grandmother lived right here at kinnear 
um, you know, until she died, she moved over from Lusk. But um, I remember, you know, stories and seeing pictures of her, you know, her job when she was a teenage girl was to hunt rabbits. And there wasn't game. You guys touched on this earlier. <laughs> um, everybody that lived here 100 years ago subsisted on wildlife. And when you think about availability of food, the, the role that ag has played in that in that whole process it's unbelievable that's what's giving us all the ability to have pursuit of wildlife for sport and recreation purposes because you know we truthfully don't have many of us truthfully don't have to pursue it as a food source it has been proven to be much healthier and it is Mm -hmm. i think it still is a great you know thing to subsist on but but agriculture a lot of people don't don't want to give it the credit that it deserves as that's why food is available to us. You know, that's why it's it's cheap and easy to buy meat in the United States versus the rest of the world. And so yep. it's really cool that the Wildlife Fund and Wildlife for Tomorrow as an initiative are recognizing that nothing, like I said, again, is perfect. However, we all have to understand our role and our responsibility to, to the bigger, broader picture of wildlife conservation. Yep. So. And that's, I think, Nate, yeah, you nailed it right there. It's like, it's our responsibility. Um, yeah. You know, wild, you wild, can- wildlife is like such a, you know, an integral part of our lives. And, you, you know, you guys like touched on it really well that, hey, you're not out there just to put meat in the freezer or hang it on the wall. It's like, yeah, it's just like you love the fact that you know it's out there. And when you drive the highway, it's you appreciate the opportunity to see it and see their interactions between, you know, the elk and the wolves. And um, it's it's a lot more than what, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of hunters are portrayed, I think. Absolutely. Well, guys, this has been awesome. It's been really fun to hear about the Wildlife Fund. If somebody wanted to contribute, how did they get a hold of you and how did they do that? Well, I, I would say that um, this is an opportunity of a lifetime, you guys. We really appreciate Patrick and David and, and the invite to come to this podcast. Um, our Wildlife for Tomorrow initiative is slated to be rolled out statewide very soon, and this is a great opportunity for that to be advertised. Um, I've talked to some other media outlets around as well. Um, I'm personally going to be hitting up a lot of businesses in Fremont County for this initiative. Um, I think, you know, Fremont County is the epicenter, one of the largest, if not the largest county in the state. I'm not positive about that, but I think it is. And, one, almost um, one of the largest in the nation. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think you know, I would like to see us really follow Taylor's lead. You know, Taylor's got a, a footprint put together in, in Teton County with this initiative. I'd like to see Dubois and Lander and Riverton and all of those businesses jump on board with this initiative, Wildlife for Tomorrow. Taylor's going to actually speak tonight again about, you know, just some of the different roles that tourism plays and and recreation plays. And, uh, you know, we're just really trying to get a, across the country and across the state, especially with this initiative and uh, provide people with the opportunities. But um, in general, you know, our, our website's very easy. It's the Wildlife Fund with WY for the state of Wyoming thewildlifefund.org. You know, this initiative specifically, Wildlife for Tomorrow, will be right on, you know, our banner on our website. There'll be a drop down for it right there. You can dig into that as well and and get involved that way. But um, all the projects that we've done and that we are currently funding, uh, past funded projects and current projects are on the website. It's, uh, It's great. We're actually developing the Wildlife for Tomorrow website right now. Another cool thing that's going to happen is uh, 
We have a collaborative beer that's being put together for Wildlife for Tomorrow with Altitude Chop House and Brewery in Laramie. Um, we're starting small. You know, that's kind of a Laramie-centric business, but um, great opportunity to, to start pushing this thing across the state and um, get out and get involved. You know, the Hobbs School with the University of Wyoming is involved in, behind this initiative as well. Um, just, you know, keep keep your eyes peeled. It's um, it's it's an exciting time for for Wyoming, the Wildlife Fund. Um, you know we're 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 slowly evolving the wildlife funding conservation model, and that's that's a big deal. It's um, a huge deal. It's, it's a huge deal. Like yeah. the model has been in place now for over seventy years, and this is our opportunity. Like you know, with the current um, administration here in Wyoming, and you know the game and fish. This this is the time to make that happen, and you know it's going to benefit wildlife. And then there's going to be healthier populations, better habitat. That's going to be beneficial for hunters and anglers, as well as the the wildlife watchers. Awesome. So it's it just seems like it's it's a win win all around. And I'm super excited. You know we've we've cracked the nut, and over the next you know year, five, ten years, like just watch out. Uh, this thing's going to blow up. Awesome. Well, thanks for making the trek here. I know Taylor, you had some complications and you pulled up with a flat tire and uh, we took care of that. We'll post some pictures of that. Awesome. Um, yeah. Thanks for your help guys. Yeah. I want to be totally, uh, I want to be totally um, transparent too, as well. David, you touched on this earlier with some of the other NGOs, just so you know, um, as the wildlife fund generally, um, all of our, so we have two employees, Chris and myself, we have a, a board that's all volunteer. Uh, we run a very tight ship. Um, these wildlife for tomorrow, um, all of that money, that 90% of those funds will go on the ground for wildlife. The wildlife fund itself only keeps a 10% admin of those dollars just to basically keep us to be able to do the job. That so, puts gas in your uh, car and, yeah, and, and I mean, puts food on your table so you can be out doing this yeah. job, you know, 60, 80, 90 hours a week. Yeah, you as, a, do. as an oil and gas background, you know, management, I, I you know, I can't I can't stress enough how expensive it is just to drive around. Everybody's paying to put money in their tank, but it's unbelievably well run and tightly run. Um, this That's organization great. is is about putting boots on the ground and funding for wildlife together. You know, we're not going on expensive vacations with this money or anything <laughs> like that. I mean, we wish we could maybe, you know, when I retire and this thing's running itself, then, you know, I'll have a vacation, but for now I'm just going to keep hitting the road for wildlife. So. Awesome. Well, again, thank you guys so much for taking the time to come on the show. This has been fun. And if you're interested in wildlife fun, again, check out their website. We'll have the website address in our show notes so you can follow up with these guys and help them out. And of course, go to Jackson and uh, come a, take an come ecotourism take, trip. Right? Exactly. Look us up. Jackson Ole Eco Tour Adventures. Yeah. Four hour to multi-day. You know, we'll teach you about the area, show you areas kind of off the beaten path mm -hmm. and know that 2% of uh, your trip cost goes to the wildlife fund, which is great. So again, thank you guys so much. Thanks for having us. We really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. 
While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoor shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.